You're listening to the Yakima Chief Hops Podcast Network. Welcome to Bigger Than Beer, a podcast centered on shining a light on the larger impact of the hop and craft beer community. This season's focus is women plus in the industry, and we are focused on raising up the voices, contributions, and experiences of women plus in hops and craft beer. We are looking to dive into meaningful conversations and explore solutions for positive change. Today, I have a triple threat on the podcast, three guests who all share something in common. They are hop business owners, and they are family. Welcome to the podcast, Diane Gooding, Michelle Gooding, and Andrea Gooding from Gooding Farms in Idaho. Super excited to have you guys on today. Um, I'll have you each introduce yourself so you guys can say hi to listeners and everyone will know who's who on the call today. Um, so we'll go ahead and start with you, Andrea and Michelle. My name is Andrea Gooding, and I am the third sister out of the three. And I'm back on the farm since three years ago, so it's been great so far. I'm Michelle Gooding. I'm the middle sister um been back on the farm now for six years and um yeah excited to be here uh, my name is diane gooding and i'm the eldest of the three gooding girls and uh really excited to be on the podcast as well right on thank you we're very excited to have you on um and learn more about your your operation your journey with that um and the experiences of being in in the hop industry um, so first to start off with, can you share with us the history and the story of Gooding Farms and how you all came back to the farm and got involved? Yeah, this is Diane. I can kind of take a swing at that. Um, Gooding Farms was originally started in 1895 in Western Oregon and uh, grew for two generations there. And then in the mid 40s, uh, our great grandfather relocated the farm and the family to the Treasure Valley or Snake River Valley in the uh, western portion of uh, southern Idaho. We're about 45 minutes west of Boise, which is the capital of the state. Um, so we've been growing hops uh, since then, and uh, my sisters and I are the sixth generation uh, to come and maintain and operate the farm uh, since that time. Awesome. Any other thoughts on that, Andrea and Michelle? Got it covered right on. She pretty much, yep. Diane's got it. (laughs) So what inspired or or drew you back to the farm? This is Michelle. Uh, I would say what really inspired me to come back to the farm is when I finished my undergraduate, I was working in an office and, you know, the nine to five kind of corporate gig. And, um, you know, it was fine, but wasn't really my passion or something that, I felt like I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, So at that time, Diane was already on the farm and we were kind of talking about what might be a good fit for me if I were to come back. Craft was really starting to take off. And, uh, you know, she was like, well, you know, we really could use someone with a little bit more soil and plant knowledge. Um, So I went and studied at Colorado State and uh, came back, kind of still working on my master's, finishing that up and... Yeah, that was that was really the main draw for me. And it's it's been great. I mean, there's something that just about hops that gets in your blood and and, you know, 
when it comes to working with family, sometimes that's hard, but it's also a really great blessing. And it's something that I think can, can really be special. And we're really grateful for that, or at least I am. Andrea here. Um, what inspired me the most to come back to the farm is always being a part of the farm has had a huge impact on me growing up on the farm. And being involved with agriculture has always been a passion for me. And I went to Oregon State and, of course, got a you know degree in agricultural business management. What a better way to utilize that than the family farm. So after school, I came back to the farm and have been filling in places here and there wherever I've been needed. And that has always been part of my passion, helping my sister and family helping my sisters and the family farm grow, which is very rewarding for me because it's not something that everybody can say that they grew up on a hot farm or have been part of the family farm. And it's just, it's always been a passion for me in that sense. So yeah, that kind of summarizes it for me. <laughs> Wonderful to learn a little bit more about. Diane, what about you? Yeah, so I came back to the farm in 2010 um which is really kind of at the the early beginnings of really the craft revolution or boom if you will and um i had been living in san francisco prior to that so had some uh kind of fun in college in my 20s and and then found myself working in a basement and a kind of a web design job and just really wasn't uh particularly happy plus i missed outside um, and farming is always different. So kind of having that variety of tasks and responsibilities was something I was kind of interested in. Plus dad needed some help. Uh, he was in his, maybe not total twilight, but heading towards the twilight of his career and even just some office and admin and, uh, some of the bookkeeping side is kind of where I started, uh, in addition to you know, driving tractor and sprayer and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and then as the kind of craft market developed and, and advanced, we were able to utilize kind of our historic and, you know, really long-term focus on quality to capitalize on some of that. Uh, not to say that every year was easy. It's never that easy. Actually, growing hops is very challenging, um, which, is true to today as well. Um, but you know, it was, it was dad needed help. I wanted something different and I, I did miss home. I didn't really think that I would ever come back to the farm and Idaho, Idaho did draw me back. And now a bunch of my California <laughs> cohorts have joined <laughs> they as well. Feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's, I guess, progress if you want to call it that. Uh, and being, coming back when I did, you know, dad at that time and Southern Idaho in general, there were only four hop growers left in the, in Southern Idaho, us being one of the four. And now we're actually the oldest family farm, hop farm in, uh, Southern Idaho. Wow. Uh, the bat family retired and, and hung it up, uh, in 06. So kind of left us holding the torch, if you will. And, and 
we really, as a, as a growing area and, and our farm particularly, have, have really transitioned from a focus on alpha or macro type hops for, you know, macro beer uh, to really uh, focusing on and, and trying to master some of the nuances of the aroma varieties really to, to service the craft fruit industry and at a, at a very high level, as high as possible. And, and most of the time we're pretty darn successful at that. And, and that's really been a neat uh, progression to see is, you know, shifting from sort of a, a commodity type mentality as well as uh, product to a very specialized and um, localized hop hop farm. Mm-hmm. So it's been it's been a it's been a great journey, and and we look forward to you know more fun years to come. Yeah, Diane, you you returned in 2010, you said, like, when craft beer was really starting to take off. So what was it like to observe that change happening um, and be a part of the growth? Like, you were talking about, like, you transitioned to this specialized, localized kind of um, stance. So what was that entire transition and observation of that growth like? It was kind of hard, (laughs) not going to (laughs) lie. Also, transitioning varieties can be uh, very time-consuming and expensive, so some interesting things there that most brewers or normal people wouldn't really uh, necessarily know, but just the passion and the love of, you know, the hops and agriculture that the craft brewing community invites really was super motivating and and inspiring. I, I won't ever forget the first CBC I went to in, in San Francisco, actually, I was still living there part time and, everybody was happy. It was amazing. <laughs> Usually you'd go to hop convention and, and by the time you left there, you just, you know, you'd question yourself, what in the heck are we doing? The, the market's bad. Pricing's bad. We're not making any money. We're, you know, prices are below the cost of production. And in the craft arena and, you know, at that time CBC was quite a bit smaller. Everybody was like, thought we were superstars, you know, and it, it just was, so refreshing and awakening and it really inspired me to you know try to get dad talked into pushing the farm more towards that direction for the first five years i was on the farm we had former customers and vendors that would say craft brewing and that ain't it's not gonna last they won't they won't stick around and i was like well you know uh my generation kind of sees things differently and, and we're interested in a different flavor profile in our beer. And thankfully <laughs> they were wrong and, and we kind of ended up being on the right side of that. And so it's, it's not without challenges. Certainly COVID uh, the past couple of years has been really hard on everybody from the, the grower to the consumer, you know, the end user, the beer drinker. So I think, as the future continues, we'll, we'll, we'll all have to adjust and, and kind of, you know, what's, what's next, what's next in beer, what's next in farming, what's next in, in hops. And, and that's really exciting because there is something that is next. And that's really a, a, a good thing to stay focused on even when, when there's challenges. Yeah. I think it would be kind of easy to see like, you know, the time that you arrived, it was like, it was moving this direction. It was great timing, but there's definitely like some transition pain points and also like identifying that there was opportunity and engaging with that opportunity. It sounds like, you know, was 
not sure at the time, right? Like it, it sounded like it was like, we don't know. It could not be headed in this direction, but kind of sounds like your gut kind of told you that it was headed in this direction, um, kind of based on, on your observations and it's obviously paid off, um, with how the farm's doing. So that's really good to hear about. Um, so what are, what are the dynamics of having three of you on the farm? Can you tell me about the different responsibilities each of you have? Michelle, you want to lead that off? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this is Michelle. So just, you know, everybody's different. um, And us three sisters are different too, which means that the three of us, I would say, definitely have our strengths and our weaknesses. So Diane uh, is the VP, her, I would say, technical title. So she oversees, you know, everything on the farm, um, but specifically the contracting, sales, um, money, keeps the ship floating. And then um, what I do is I really focus on the food safety. I deal with worker safety, um, the fertility side with grazing, sprayers, um, and then, you know, different hats. And then Andrea, she's helped with our H2A, and she's actually uh, focusing now on our retail side, um, which has been a really exciting thing that we've started in the last few years. and definitely is up for whatever if i need andrea to come drive a a trailer when we're moving animals or you know give me some worker vests or you know she's there if you're in a bind um regardless really of what the task is and i think i think that all three of us girls are uh a pretty good team in that sense and you know not to say that it doesn't come without challenges and sometimes disagreements but um i think we've all kind of found our little niche and you know, really try to understand the common goal at hand. Yeah, absolutely. You know, working on a, on a family farm has an interesting dynamic in there. It's, there's, you know, it's, it's personal. All the work you're doing is very personal, right? Um, it's your family, your family's work, you're, you're working with your family. So it does introduce some interesting dynamics, but it also makes it so you're incredibly passionate and willing to help out. I'm sure as it sounds like, you know, each willing to, to lend a hand to each other when needed. That's fantastic. Um, you are all uh, involved in various councils, associations, and committees like like the Idaho Hop Growers Association and Hop Research Council. Can you briefly tell me about those and their importance? You go first, Diane. Okay. Yeah, so I sit on the executive board for the Hop Research Council. There's a number of things that I'm involved in locally as well, but that's kind of my favorite, I guess. <laughs> Um, irrigation board can be a less exciting. Uh, so, you know, I help kind of oversee some of that, but really we have technical directors and, and the hop research council is really focused on the betterment of hops, the hop crop, the industry in general, as well as, uh, we're really starting to focus on and, and do a bunch of research about regenerative and sustainable uh, agriculture as well as water conservation and things like that. So that really is, it's a great group. And actually uh, Yakima Chief is a member as well as uh, a number of other growers and vendors in the, the hop community. Yeah, when you're talking about those topics of sustainability, regenerative agriculture, like what what value did those bring to you as growers to kind of give, you know, listeners some some insight into why it's so important to invest your time and and research into those topics? I think it's the future of the 
not just hops, but of agriculture in general. And it's just really good to stay up on everything. There's always new advancements in technology, whether that be moisture monitoring or, you know, we've, uh, Michelle has introduced uh, intensive grazing to our farming system and being able to quantify and, and share those results and, and that research has, is, it advances everything and, and hopefully for, for a better future for the soil, for the planet, for, for everybody, humanity in general. So it's really, really critical with climate change and everything that's going on uh, in our world that, that we, you know, we have an opportunity as, a, as an industry to be leaders in regenerative and sustainable agriculture because we are fairly tight knit. You know, the, the total hop acres in the U.S. is uh, just north of 50,000 and that is for a crop is very small so we can enact and pursue change that is impactful uh, a little more easily compared to say corn or soy or uh, other monoculture type farming systems so it's really uh, we have a great opportunity to be a leader in ag not just in Idaho or in northwest but could share that nationally or even globally yeah, I'm really glad you made that point of how, uh, because it's a, a tight knit group that you have the ability to to make change happen um, and kind of identify those opportunities. That's a, a great point to to bring up. Any other associations or or uh, committees or anything like that um, that you all are involved in that you'd like to chat a little bit more about? Yeah, this is Michelle. I am the president of the Idaho Hop Growers Association, um, and then I also am the state rep for. The Hipsy Council. I'm the co-chair of that, and do some other, you know, charity, local type things here in the valley as well. Um, but you know, Diane was speaking to how we have the ability to, to potentially have a large impact, you know, not only in our region but nationally and internationally. And Hipsy in particular, um, that's really where we can see some of the effects of that as well. You know, we're dealing with some difficulties with harmonization. You know, making sure that we can get our hops where we need to get them. Um, so that's really what we focus on. And um, I mean, there's a lot of people that care a lot on those committees. And so that's something that Hipsy is really focused on is just making sure that we can be as flexible with the hops as we can be. Um, and then the Idaho Hop Growers Association has had some significant impacts at our local level. Um, we have been dealing with some, or we were dealing with some some tax issues and you know kind of things of that nature so it's the lobbying body for hop growers in idaho so that's been really a great learning experience and um, we're a, a fairly tight-knit group here in idaho so um it's it's been really nice to have the support of the growers and be able to make some changes that actually directly affect our farms um so that's that's been pretty good andrea uh, yeah, Andrea here. So a few things that I've been involved with this past year, especially has been with our retail front. I've been able to have the opportunity to give back, you know, with being on the farm, there's a lot of things that we can do, but giving back to the community has been a huge thing for me. And so this previous summer, we uh, partnered up with the Wilder FFA and uh, another local farm uh, to grow some corn. And so those proceeds went back to the school, which, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but helping the local community reflects a lot about who we are and who we are as a farm as a whole. 
And uh, recently, actually, here this holiday season, uh, I've been partnering up with the Community Council of Idaho to fund or do a food drive and cook for kids which also will go back to the local community. And on top of that, I have started a fundraiser. I'm calling it the Memorial Wilder Fundraiser. And it's in honor of those who have, you know, not only have we known them in the past, but have made an impact on our community and helped shape where us family farms are now and the city of Wilder. And those funds are actually going back to the Wilder Athletic Department and Historically, Wilder hasn't always been the largest community, and so if there's some way that we could help, then it's it's just important. It's important to me, and and it not only reflects who who has been important to us, but how we can show them that you know we want to be important to them too. So that's that's been a huge part of my role this year with our retail front, and just trying to get involved a little bit locally, not as big impact yet as far as you know Hipsy goes and the commission and whatnot so yeah you know uh listening to each of your different involvement we're talking about like state level the importance of advocacy on behalf of the industry in in your state it's so important to making sure voices of um agriculture you know is is heard on those levels because there's a lot of issues that impact agriculture directly so um advocacy work lobbying is is super important um and then all the way to you know local community when you're talking about wilder ffa the national youth organization that's all about you know future careers in agriculture um and seeing how you can help you know the athletic fund these all impact you know both locally in your in your community but also at large you know when you're thinking about your state um, and also the entire hop grower community within your state. So it's really interesting to learn about how, all the different ways that you each have gotten involved and the impact there. Um, I think it, it definitely conveys the community-oriented mindset that you all have at, at Gooding Farms of how can you serve on, you know, uh, start, you know, starting things off like you were talking about, Andrea, and then also some um, well-established uh, organizations and associations. Seeing, seeing where you all can can get involved. Very cool to to learn a little bit more about. Thanks for sharing and explaining some of those things. Yeah, I was reading a little bit about your community efforts in 2020, similar to what we were just talking about. But you know, like like regenerative agriculture and an employee garden. Um, can you describe these efforts and and how these all came about? Yeah, this is Michelle. I'll I'll talk. I'll tackle the region topic. It's not a small topic. Um, but for us, you know, when I came back to the farm, um, I was like, "Hey, Diane, like you really should check out this book." You know, it's I think it'd be a good read. So that was at the time. Um, it's a book by Gabe Brown, and it was a, a pretty pivotal moment for our farm. Um, you know, Diane had been looking into doing solar, which was a pretty large expense. Uh, at the time. So we're, we're proud of that. We're proud of our solar offset that we have. Um, I think it's about roughly 40%. So that all sits on our new office and our, our dryer. And then uh, we kind of wanted to really take the regenerative thing to the next level. So we basically uh, sought out professionals, consultants, did research on our own, um, and started integrating um, some different practices. So we had been cover cropping. Our dad, you know, would do a single rye or 
or something like that annual rye and, and so he is a, a really smart guy and i think kind of saw that that gave back a little bit um but we kind of took it to the next level um by making different combinations of mixes and also um in the off season uh grazing animals through there so that's a, a big piece of what we're trying to mimic happens in nature um so we're basically high density grazing them through the fields um and it's it's honestly really great winter work for some of our people we like to keep them year round um and it's a lot of work but we're really starting to see some impacts of that and um this is our second winter doing that throughout the whole winter um so we're basically trying to keep you know you've got this this circle right and a, a circle doesn't end so we know that hops are definitely our bread and butter but how can we add in other things to diversify the business um but also add to it right so that's animals cover cropping you know the retail front um and basically just trying to create that truly sustainable system um and with you know with the price increases we're seeing on on everything i think we're going to be in a, a pretty good spot come spring um fertilizer is going through the roof and uh, we're really just trying to focus on the soil ecology and trying to create the system to where it's active on its by itself um and we're, we're getting there it's been very challenging though um diane says that sometimes we're in our sophomore year is what she likes to call it you know we're you're, you've got that kind of awkward in-between phase um and we'll, we'll get there we'll, we'll get past sophomore year um but it's it's just gonna come with time and just continuing to do the things that are right for the soil and the plants and and really for everybody um just trying to, to be as sustainable as we can and limit that carbon footprint yeah uh michelle could you explain um for for those who don't have an agriculture background um when you're talking about cover crop what that means exactly kind of explain that a little bit yeah so what cover cropping means to us is basically you're looking at hop fields and on our spacing uh, most of the time there's about 12 feet in between each hill um, and their neighboring row pretty much is how you can think of that and what we do is we plant the alley so before that you kind of would have your you know your big hop rows they go to grow tall and beautiful um, but we weren't totally maximizing that space in between so it's like okay how can we utilize this 12 feet to its fullest potential and um, so we'll go through with a, a no-till planter or, or you know different types of cedars and we'll plant a variety of mixes so um, sometimes that's eight or nine or ten things in them when Diane's feeling really creative or um, it's it's four you know we're targeting grasses um, legumes typically which are nitrogen fixing um, and we're experimenting with a few different things too that's been fun um, looking at some perennial cover crops so we're not having to be in there every single year um, which is hopefully a long-term plan yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for kind of walking through that in a little bit more yeah. detail. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. um, also, um, any thoughts on the employee garden, community garden? Yeah, this is Andrea here. I'll uh, kind of handle this one. So with the employee garden, kind of where the idea came behind that was pretty much our labor. 
So with H2A, um, we've had H2A for about four years now, and that's kind of been a headway that I've helped organize and take responsibility on, which there's a lot involved with that, I'll say that. But without H2A, um, you know, it's, it's hard to find farm labor in a small farming community. Um, so that's kind of why we got H2A, and it's part of the big picture. They H2A has kept the farm afloat in the labor division. Mm -hmm. Cops are, it's a very intense labor uh, spectrum within agriculture. And so H2A has been such a huge impact on our farm. And part of wanting to give back to not only the community and FFA and teach the surrounding community kind of a little bit more what you can do, what agriculture is, we have a community garden. So H2A has done a lot for us in the past. So one way that we wanted to give back to them was to create a community garden. Food's not cheap. Labor's not cheap. I mean, nothing is cheap right now. And so with that, they can go out and we've got a small section in the side of the one field. It's kind of an area where we can't really farm it unless it's something small and specific. So that's kind of where the idea came behind that. And in the past, we've had, you know, lettuce and tomatoes and, you know, other fruit between strawberries and raspberries. Black. I mean, kind of a variety of things. And one thing I'm really excited about this next year is we really expanded a few of those areas. So we planted about three-ish acres of asparagus this last year and roughly an acre and a half of strawberries and raspberries with a few blackberries, of course. But those, just the small stuff can make a huge impact, especially on the labor division. Um, it's rather than spending 25 minutes to get to town, Another 30 minutes to go shopping for a few things, another 25 back, simply can go out to the garden that's 10 minutes away, pick something fresh, get the best that you can get out of your food, and then what's the return on that? They appreciate it, and we appreciate their labor. So it's kind of like that's part of the full circle when it comes to the H2A division. And it's, it's nice being able to go out and pick some stuff for your own that you grow yourself. It's conveniently <laughs> located by my house. Yes. <laughs> Not too far it away. Is, it is, yeah, it is rewarding and, um, and it's beautiful. So yeah, I like that's, that rewarding that's kind aspect. Of the yeah. Mm. It really, but it, just to add on to that too, is, uh, you know, with COVID kind of hitting us in spring of 2020, really wanted to create an opportunity that would, kind of stabilize food supply for, for our workforce. And also is kind of what motivated us to open up a, a retail front facing produce stand, which Andrea is runs and manages and maintains. And, you know, there again, a place uh, during COVID where it's large space, people could gather outside, even with uh, restrictions. And, and while everything was shuttered, we were able to actually open up shop and you know, the, the community garden was a, a, a piece to that too, so that we were growing straight, you know, from literally from farm to fork mm -hmm. and, and, and experiencing that whole direct to market consumer on, on a different scale and level than kind of what we're accustomed to. And I think it was a, it's been a really great learning opportunity for all three of us. 
and we're you know continuing down that path and and it's really been a neat experience yeah absolutely i think you know your point of stabilizing food supply in a very uncertain time and you know i i just pick up notes kind of it, it talking about your business operation and the different things you've adopted, it really does diversify you, which provides security for the farm, sustainability for the farm. It's, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket, which is like really important in agriculture, seeing if you can um, ever have some supplemental um, things going on just in case, because you know agriculture is incredibly dependent on mother nature. So if you have a, a rough crop year or whatever it is, just having some diversity is really important. So it's very cool to hear about how you guys have added different things to your portfolio there. You know, Gooding Farms has embraced sustainability initiatives like becoming the first hop farm in Southwest Idaho to become Global Gap certified and installing solar panels, which you talked a little bit about. So what makes you all passionate about sustainability and how does it benefit the farm? I think being multi-generational really has encouraged and, and motivated us to make sure that there will be a seventh and that the ground and the land can support that. Yeah. So, you know, had our predecessors been really hard on things, which is not to say we're perfect, but uh, without good stewardship, we really, um, you sacrifice any opportunity for the, the next generation to come. And, and I think it's also the right thing to do, you know, mm -hmm. uh, environmentally speaking, Idaho is incredibly conservative, but with our backgrounds and, you know, Andrea coming from Oregon state and Michelle spending some time in Colorado, myself in California really kind of broadened our perspective and in, in realization that we, what we have is, is really a gift and we need to, to keep care of it and maybe even shiny it up a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Bringing all the all that you learned and kind of different knowledge you gained back to to become some leaders in sustainability there in Idaho. That's awesome. Uh, one of your your signature hop varieties, Idaho Gem, was selected for the fifth annual Pink Boots Blend from Yakima Chief Hops. Uh, it has been featured in the blend for the last couple of years, I believe, and it's a, a favorite among the brewing community. Uh, this is a really special part of the blend because it was developed and grown by a uh, woman-led and owned hop farm. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Idaho Gem and um, how it's showing up in beer and just a little bit more about the variety? I'm sure listeners would be thrilled to learn a little bit more from your guys' perspective. That's Diane's well, baby. <laughs> yeah, so Idaho Gem, uh, we're in, I think our first year of commercial production was 2017. Prior to that, it was in testing and, and plots and things and, and finally grew with enough exposure and, and support to the point where we are today, which I want to give a little shout out to Yakima Chief. They're our largest, you guys are our largest customers. So thank you for the support. <laughs> um, but it's a really pretty hop. It's also the first thing that we harvest in the season. So really stable and consistent aroma and flavor wise. We have some great data to be able to make that very consistent year on year, which some varieties are, are a little more challenging in that because uh, of the picking window. But cherry, tropical, stone fruit, uh, depending on how it's used, uh, sometimes a hint of mint, um, you know, and it, it really works great in everything from a lager to a New England style IPA. 
Um, you know, I've had some wonderful single hop pale ales with it. Firestone Walker has a pale ale single hop that uh, they released this past season that it was a great hit in their variety pack. And we look forward to partner, you know, that partnership moving forward. And it's been kind of a, a challenge getting it out there. And, and also it's a little scary because what if people don't like it or, you know, taking a new variety to market was certainly uh, a unique and new experience for me personally. And I think it was a great exercise and, and, really excited to see kind of where the path will lead from here. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's just really interesting, interesting to learn more about what I didn't know. It was one of the first uh, varieties harvested. So that's really cool to learn about. Um, but also, you know, taking a new variety to market, it's a, it's a long, um, kind of road, right? I mean, how, how much time do you think leading up to it? Did that take that whole process? We originally, um, found the variety in 2011 and so isolated it and started watching it so you know between 2011 and 2017 uh trying to you know we had it tested and and then we did pilots and then you test it some more and then okay well we only have half an acre so it's super annoying to harvest and that's i mean there's all sorts of challenges but at the time I think it was well worth it and, you know, countless hours of, of going back and forth with, with different vendors or brewers and, and trying to kind of spread the information and knowledge about it. It, it challenging, but very rewarding. Yeah. You know, when, when we're thinking about new varieties coming in, these things don't happen overnight. There's, there's tons of research, like you were talking about, like there's tons of data that's going into it. There's tons of research of how it's showing up. Um, so it's just uh, fascinating to, to learn more about that process. And I think, you know, beyond its, its, uh, attributes and characteristics that it brings, um, you know, it's, it's got a wonderful story that goes along with it, which I think, um, beer drinkers, brewers appreciate, uh, very much, you know, when we're thinking about, I, I just thought that was really cool that that's in the pink boots blend. I think that's a great nod to, uh, the initiative of, of pink boots society and the goals of pink boots blend. So, um, we definitely just wanted to give a shout out there to, to Idaho gym and, and it's, it's feature in there and make some really good beers as well. So thanks for, thanks for growing that and making that all happen. Well, and I mean, the pink boots, the, the fact, I, I think this is our third year of being included. Maybe I, I just don't remember, but I think the th- first I think time, three. I think three is right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like I about started crying. I was so excited. It was, I felt so honored that our hop was a good enough and B like they really loved it. It was really, um, it kind of brought everything home and, you know, made it's a nice success story for, for the variety as well as the women in ag and beer and all kind of coming together and supporting one another. It was really, really fantastic. Yeah. You know, so when, when the pink boots chapters, um, they do these selections, they get sent. Um, and for anyone listening, who's also participated or hasn't, um, how the pink boots blend is selected. And this year was especially cool because it went out 
all over the world to different uh, chapters. Um, so all these hops are sent out, samples, and then chapters select, you know, we like this blend. So they're sampling all different kinds of hops and Idaho Gem has made it into that blend and been selected. And so that's really cool to see that it's shown up uh, now three times. And so that really does mean it's, it stands out to the chapters, the members within Pink Boots Society. Um, and, you know, just kind of glad that we can kind of um, shine a light in, in kind of a, a different, you know, a different way of it's a great hop variety that shows up so well in beer um, and in this blend and brings some great characteristics, but also that it's a, a great um, tie in there with, with the, the entire goal. So love to give that a little shout out as well. Thanks for, for chatting about that a little bit. Um, so you are one of the, the few owned, oh, excuse me, you are one of the few women owned hop farms in the industry, which is very unique in this industry. What has that experience been like? You know, coming back to the farm, kind of, you know, now it's been over 10 years, which kind of blows my mind to be quite honest. Um, I'm like, oh, wow, it's 10 years already. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, everybody was, when I first came back, you know, dad had not, everybody was kind of questioning what was going to happen to the farm because we were all gone. I mean, Andrea was barely out of high school. Michelle was in college and, and I was certainly out of college, but you know, I know that some of the neighbors maybe were kind of looking over the fence a little bit and in, in hopes that maybe there might be an opportunity. And so everybody was, didn't know what to say or do or think when I first came back. Um, I would just, uh, for those listeners out there, there is actually a, a, a good colleague and, and friends of ours, uh, female owned hop farm in Oregon, as well as one in Washington state. So kind of shout out to Gail and, and Reggie there as well. Um, but the, the, you know, after a year or two, it's the, the hop community is so accepting, especially, you know, even new or, or maybe returning faces. And, and I, I felt overall very, very well accepted. And, and certainly there's nothing's perfect, but I, on the whole for agriculture, I think that hop, the hop community in general is more progressive. So we may not have some of those walls or hindrances that women might be facing in other industries that are heavily male dominated. The other thing that's really neat about sort of the next generation coming, uh, if you look at folks in, in Washington and Oregon as well, the next gen, like say people Andrea's age or a little bit younger, a good portion of those people that are probably kind of slated to, to take the reins next are females. So, uh, you know, we had some trendsetters ahead of us and, and there's a really powerful role in, in Ann George who's kind of been the head of our, our marketing and, and, and hop industry for, for many years on regulatory and different things. And, and so we have, we had some good, uh, uh, for yeah. you know, people that came ahead of us. And, and I think that we're going to continue to, to pave the road and, and for those coming up behind us as well. So it's been a, a really neat experience and, and certainly the brewing community is very accepting as well. And I've never felt like weird or, Oh, you're a girl, but you can't do that. Or, you know, people, 
I mean, people judge people all the time, but I never felt like it was a detriment. Yeah, you you brought up the point of, um, you know, having some some examples for yourself and then also paving the road ahead. I think seeing uh, three women in leadership in, in, a, in a hop operation, and as, as you mentioned, there are um, other women run um, hop operations out there as well. And I think, you know, fr- from my perspective, what that's going to do is, like you said, encourage more involvement from the next generation. It's a, a leadership um, role in, in itself. And people can see like, oh, they did it. I can do this. I want to get involved. I want, you know, they see that reflected back in themselves um, to see they they also want to make a name for themselves or whatever it is, or come back to the farm, get involved. Um, so it's really exciting to see, uh, you know, I, I am excited about the next generation of, of uh, farming, of agriculture, kind of in all that different realms of what we can see and the, the diversity involved in that. There's there's exciting things happening. And, um, you know, it, it all has started with people paving the way um, ahead of ahead of us. And uh, it's really exciting to see and, and to continue to work on. So it's really cool to to kind of learn a little bit more about from from your I've perspective. Just, I've got one tiny funny story. Yes, please that. share on that note. So dad always sat on HRC, Hop Research Council, for years. I mean, 15, 20 years. And prior to that, grandpa sat on it and was one of the founders. So we've had a gooding on HRC for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so he kind of passed the torch to me in a little bit by a de facto because he didn't go to convention. The first year I went to convention, dad got sick and couldn't go. So I walk into this room. And at that time, there was probably, I don't know, maybe 20 or 25 folks sitting around a, a table. And of course, I was late. Uh, <laughs> that, was that was the plane's fault, not mine. Okay? Um, I didn't even know I was supposed to be going to this meeting. But dad's like, well, you're there. Go sit in and be proxy for me. I can't make it. Take some notes. And of course, I walk in the room and it, the door was closed. So I opened the door, not thinking really much of it and got my backpack on my laptop and you know, I'm young and hungry and I look at, I did not recognize one face, nobody from Idaho, nobody, I didn't know even people from Washington or Oregon at that time. And so I scanned the room and there's one gal sitting there and it's Reggie Boulot. So I just went and sat next to her. Right <laughs> I, didn't on. Know, there you go. I didn't know what else to do. <laughs> and, uh, awesome. It's just things like that, you know, it's just, and of course, everybody, I introduced myself and everybody was super, super nice and, and helpful. And I mean, they could see I was definitely the, the deer in the headlights effect going on. But, um, you know, I'll never I'll never forget. We, we have beers and we'll we'll kind of joke about that at one day and, <laughs> and kind of share, you know, visit back and forth on because her side of that was was <laughs> she thought it was pretty funny. So. <laughs> Power in numbers there. No, that's, that's great. Uh, that's a, a funny story to kind of walk it into a room and, and seeing where you can find an ally there. That's, that's fantastic. I'll have to ask Reggie about that sometime. Hopefully I'll, I'll get the opportunity to get her side of the story too. <laughs> um, part, you know, part of the purpose of this podcast is to showcase the contributions of women in the industry. And you all are, are great examples of women in leadership roles, which is really inspiring to a, a lot of our listeners. So can you share with me any lessons that you have learned throughout your journey? Yeah, this is Michelle. I would say there, there's always lessons to be had. I mean, we're really lucky to have, you know, we have some employees that have worked for our family over 50 years. Um, so 
from that side, from, you know, just learning about the farm and how to be good stewards of the land, um, I think there's a lot to, to be said for listening um, and just really respecting, like respecting people that are older and have more experience. And um, I mean, for me, I think, you know, kind of like Diane came in young and hungry and like ready to change the world the next day. Um, but patience, uh, because farming, you, you, there's so many things out of your control um, that you really just have to to ride the storm and, and be patient. And um, when I when I came to the farm, I had zero managerial experience at all. And I think that's what I would encourage young listeners to seek out um, is ways to learn how to be a good manager um, and a good coworker because you're all on a team and, you know, a, a rising tide raises all ships. And I think that's really what we have, have learned on the farm. At least I have just kind of being like, you know, thrust into a little bit of a, a managerial spot and not really knowing how do you, how do you just talk to people? How do you admit when you're wrong? And um, I think being able to do that well is something that I've really learned to appreciate about other people and myself um, because it is, it is really hard. And um, I also would say that just finding the passions that we have all in different ways is something that's really unique um, about what we're doing. And every day, like Diane said, is a little bit different, um, but we're, we're really lucky. We get, to, we get to be with our family. We get to work really hard. We also get to have a little bit of fun in the winter. Um, and we get to do the thing that, that we love probably more than anything. So I think from that standpoint, just being grateful for, for what we have and, and doing the best we can. Awesome. Andrea or, or Diane, any other lessons that you've gained? Andrea, oh, you've got it. You, you, yeah. you've got it. <laughs> this is Andrea. Um, Michelle did a really good job covering a lot of that. Um, as the youngest sister, not being on the being on the farm for not that long, or being back on the farm, as I would say, um, <clears throat> I would say a few of the key lessons that I've learned in the last few years being back has been learning how to be a leader. Uh, it's not easy, especially if it's not necessarily something that is part of your blood. Uh, I wouldn't consider myself all, as always being a leader. I've got two older sisters. I'm, I usually always fall behind their footsteps, but I, I learned from that too, which has helped me learn to grow and lead in my own way. So it's not always easy, but I think the biggest example that I would say that I've learned as a woman in this industry is it may not be easy, but show that you're tough. It may be tough, it may be easy, but no matter what it is, if you appear to be tough, people will have a little bit more respect for you than maybe the other way around. And I think that was probably the key thing that I have learned. There, there's plenty of other things that I could mention too. I've learned a lot about pops with being back on the farm. I've learned from conversations and whatnot, but I, I would say that that's probably the biggest impact for me right now. That's 
pretty much all I can think think at this moment, honestly. So I think I think uh, you know, tying tying into that, both Andrew and Michelle great points there. Um, you know, from a, a general perspective, knowing your strengths and weaknesses, I think it's pretty critical in any sort of leadership role. And and it's easy to know your strengths, but it's hard oftentimes to recognize your weaknesses. And that, thankfully, I I didn't know that I had this skill, but it is a skill that I do have kind of naturally. And and it's it's super helpful, especially trying to build a business, build a farm, uh, expand, and filling the gaps, uh, finding the right people or equipment or tools or know-how or, you know, programmer or whatever the case may be, whatever the, the gap is, is filling that properly and, and, and feeling good about it. And at the end of the day, you know, we're all here to do a good job and, and it's really rewarding. Yeah. You, you brought up, um, you know, knowing your strengths and weaknesses. And I, I think that's an excellent, excellent point to make. Um, and you know, one step is identifying your weaknesses and then also seeing like, how can I do something about that to, to kind of, um, either balance it or, you know, find solutions or whatever it is. So great points to bring up each of you um, and all that you've, you've learned through your, your leadership and, and working to pass on, you know, how do, how do I adopt some good managerial skills, um, learn how to be a leader, even if it, maybe it's not a natural leader, but how do I learn some skills um, and how to, to, to lead and um, kind of inspire others um, and then knowing your strengths and weaknesses. So those are all great points. Thanks so much for, for shining a, a little bit of light on that. Um, and, you know, always like to end kind of on a, on a more positive note, uh, always. So uh, what has been the most rewarding aspect of working and running a hop farm? Ooh, that's a big question. Mm-hmm. I would say, this is Michelle, first of all. I would say... Um, for myself personally, uh, probably the most rewarding aspect of being on the farm has been just being able to really see the progression that's taken place since I've been back. Um, I mean, if you would have asked me when we were kids, oh, are you guys going to come back to the farm? I'd be like, no, I'm going to be a doctor. You know, like it, it wasn't something I think that us girls really had on our mind from a young age. So coming back and, and being part of it and really seeing it progress um, to the next level has, has really been rewarding. And that, I mean, that you can't really replace that. Just, just seeing the business progress, seeing your family progress, seeing your employees progress, um, is, it's really something special. Yeah, this is Andrea here. Um, but that's a pretty big question for myself. I would say one of the most rewarding aspects about working and helping run the hot farm would be beer. No, I'm just joking. You're <laughs> <laughs> not <really> wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would I would say it's not about what it takes to get there, but it's seeing what can be accomplished and being able to see that go through to the end speaks a lot, not only for the farm, but as an individual, it can show a lot of big things 
throughout the career and your personality and what can be seen. I mean, it doesn't big or small, it doesn't matter. And having, you know, a tough aspect into that can be even more rewarding in the end. You got a big project, you know, we got a few big projects, we got a bunch of big projects all at one time, which usually seems to be the case on the hop farm. Being able, being able to see those come through until the end, especially the end of harvest, is a huge thing. It's the most rewarding time of year for all of us, being able to sit back and see everything go out with the very last bill is such a satisfying moment. <laughs> and not only that, being able to talk about hops, like here we are, this, this is just a great thing to be able to be a part of and being able to be on this podcast to talk about hops a little bit is truly awesome and rewarding. Uh, I love, I love your point about, you know, uh, harvest and seeing kind of the, it's the fruits of your labor, right? All the work that's gone on for the last 11 months, all then accumulates in one month and it's a mad rush, but then you get to see all of that come, um, you know, full circle. And then you get to see the accomplishment. And I'm sure it's just a very satisfying feeling watching that last truck go out. Um, and knowing that you, you've done a good job, you know, you made it through a successful harvest. So I can, I can see that that's probably very rewarding for each of you in that aspect. Um, and then getting to talk about hops, I'm sure that's fun. (laughs) I know that there's other people out there who love talking about hops. And so the fact that, you know, hop farmers are so game to talk about their products and kind of come on projects like this. It's so important, um, to see the level of interest, I think from customers about a, an agriculture product is super exciting. I mean, you could definitely be in other industries and I've, I've worked in other agriculture industries and the excitement level from, from the brewers and beer drinkers about the, the varieties that you guys are growing and like your product. And, you know, you guys are superstars, truly like superstars to, to brewers and to beer drinkers. And that's so cool to kind of see how that's reflected because it's well-deserved. There's a lot of work that goes into it and the success of, of the, the craft beer industry starts right at the farm level. So it's a a well-deserved superstardom. (laughs) Diane, what about you? What's the most rewarding aspect? Well, you know, I was thinking about that, and it's really been such a journey uh, from where we started, not just our farm, but the state, you know, southern Idaho. <clears throat> if you'd talk to pretty much anybody, we were kind of sidelined and, uh, you know, a little bit perceived as a redheaded stepchild. You know, it was always Oregon and Washington uh, were much larger and and kind of you know, Oregon being the premium aroma producer and, and Washington being the, the heavy hitter with, you know, better yields and different things. And I think our colleagues in the area have, we've all upped our game to the point where now the state has more acres than Oregon and our quality is on par with Washington and our, so are our yields. And it's really rewarding to be, to feel like I had an impact on that journey for our state and other farms, our farm, uh, to to where we are today. And you know, who knows what the the future will hold? I think it holds some uh, really wonderful and bright things. And and that's just it's it's my pleasure to to really be a part of of the hop industry and and you know to be able to do things like this. It's it's very special. Yeah, I I can definitely see the ties from when you're talking about 
um, to kind of see how the states progressed um, and and the advancements there. And I see a direct tie to, you know, when you're talking about all the associations and councils and committees that you're a part of, that all contributes to the growth, right? Like the, the time invested and, uh, you know, the service invested over those years has definitely um, contributed to, to where the state's at today. So I can definitely see how community involvement, uh, you know, within the hop industry has um, shown dividends over the years and, and to where the state is at now. So um, definitely k- kudos on that one. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the Idaho hop industry in general. That's awesome to give it a little shout out there. Um, so do you have any, any other key takeaways for our listeners? Any, any final thoughts, uh, for the, for the show today? Um, one, you know, thought I suppose is any of the, the folks out there, if they, if anybody's ever interested to see the farm or if you have not seen harvest, it is one of the most unique processes like anywhere that you will experience, uh, uh, and the, the smells and the activity and the energy that encompasses and embodies hop harvest is really very unique. So, you know, that's just kind of a, a throwing it out there. If, if there's ever anybody that we're, we're there, literally I live on the farm. I'm there 24 <laughs> seven <laughs> unless I'm traveling or what have you, but um, we always love touring and kind of sharing our passion with, with other folks. That's really what, what it's all about. And, and during COVID, we really missed that, and and it's just it's just such a unique experience. I really encourage anybody that is even mildly interested in learning or understanding hops to to certainly swing by anytime. I mean, give me like ten minutes notice. But otherwise, <laughs> just a little uh, bit of advance notice. People are yeah, people knocking on your door. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, harvest har- hop harvest is uh, a magical and like you said, the energy. It's it's really electric. I mean, you can just feel it. It's um, there's a there's a buzz about it, um, and all the the sensory aspects, you know, being able to that smell that during that time of year. Um, so that's a great invitation for those who want to know more about the the product directly and, and the farms that it comes from. So thanks for giving that little um, last tidbit there, Andrea, Michelle. Any other final thoughts or key takeaways to share with listeners? I think uh, this is Michelle. For for me, I would just say. We're excited, like we're excited. We're excited for next year. It's been a really hard few years. Um, I mean, COVID, that was a thing, it still is a thing. And battling that and then battling the the heat that we got last year and the drought. I mean, we're just we're really excited for next year and really just hoping for kind of a, a fresh reset a little bit, get some get some good moisture in here and um you know, the beer industry and the hop industry, they're, they're still great. You know, talking about how Diane was just so excited. It's it's something that's still really exciting. And I, I think that it's awesome that we get to talk about our story and listen to other people's stories and, and just kind of, you know, build those, those great relationships. It's really special. Yeah, this is Andrea. Um, you know, the biggest thing I would say for takeaways for our listeners is, you know, if you have any questions about hops and you want to learn more about it, go to the source, talk to the growers, reach out to some brewers that may know a grower, um, because that's where you're going to get the most information about hops from, from where it's grown. I'm farm to fork. There we go. So, <laughs> any better knowledge than that, you know, 
it's going to be any from any researchers. But if you want to know more about what it takes to be on a hop farm to grow hops, reach out to us. You know, we're always here and we like to teach people and we like to be able to give our thoughts to people if they ask. So that's probably the biggest thing I got to say about that. And, um, you know, if you got a passion, go for it. Just like how we do with hops. Awesome. I think, I think that's a really good point, Andrea, that you make there about passion because it's so easy in day-to-day life, whether you're a brewer or you're an accountant or, okay, maybe an accountant isn't the best analogy <laughs> and where I'm headed with this, but it's easy to get bogged down in the day-to-day drudgery of, of life even. And it's, it can be really important, I think, for all of us to kind of, you know, pick, look your, tilt your chin up, look, look, look up and out and, and appreciate the, the, you know, we have a really neat country and, and it can always be worse. So, you know, appreciate the good things in life and, and not let the, the little annoyances or, or odds and ends of, of day-to-day kind of bog you down. It's, it's important to, you know, keep that positive attitude and perspective and, you know, nothing's easy for, nothing's easy for anybody right now. And, and sometimes we need to, you know, kind of have a self-realization that it's like, it's okay. And this too shall pass and we'll be on to a, a, you know, hopefully a better and brighter future um, ultimately. Yeah. Appreciate all those points. And kind of in my head, I was, while you're speaking about that, I was just like, you know, the best advice about resiliency through through difficult times and finding silver linings and positives is definitely going to come from farmers themselves. I mean, one of the most resilient people out there. Um, and I always say uh, farmers are optimists. You have to be. It's part of the job. So, <laughs> Just like Michelle said, there's always next year. Yes, there's, there's always, always next year. year. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Thank you guys so much um, for all of your different um, perspectives and and sharing your stories, Um, taking the time to to join me on the podcast today and and share with our community more about your farm, the work you all have been putting in to make a difference in the industry, and and just share your experiences with us. Uh, Listeners, thank you for tuning in and by doing so, pulling up a chair to listen to the voices of women in this industry. Um, So let's take some of the knowledge and perspectives that we've gained today and see how we can be mindful of this moving forward. Together, let's create something bigger than beer.